0: The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi, taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg.
1: He's explaining why in the future they're going to call, the Jewish people going to be called Kaddish, holy which is really reserved for Hashem. And it says that the the Jewish people will be even ahead of the angels. The angels will turn to the Jews to teach them because they'll be superior to the angels. So what does that mean? Because it means that at that time during the era of resurrection, the Jewish people will receive and become one with the level of Kaddish, with God's level of holiness and God's level of transcendence that God's intimate self will be revealed to them. Not like today. Today, we're only receiving the, the glimmer of a ray, the external, the way Hashem contracts Himself and allows His light to be adaptable and to be received in a very limited form. But during the era of resurrection, Hashem is going to reveal Himself. is is infinite self. And therefore, the Jewish people then will be called holy. They'll be on that level. Which will take us to a whole different level. And now he's going to explain why is it, yes, it's true, while it's true that God's transcendent self Cannot be received in a vessel, in a vehicle, even the most exalted vehicle cannot receive because it's an infinite, it's God's infinite self, his intimate self. It can't be, it's not adaptable, it's not limited and finite in any way. And therefore, once it's revealed, it's all encompassing, it's revealed equally, both in heaven and on earth. But why is it that this revelation could only be received in this world, in the physical? It's one thing if you said that in comparison to God's transcendent self, heaven and earth are all equal. The greatest level cannot receive it any more than the simplest level. And if God reveals himself, then all is equal. The highest, the lowest, the greatest, the smallest. But with resurrection we're saying that the only place this revelation will be is in this world. So much so that the soul has to come back into this world. And you can't tell me because, only because the body then is going to be very refined, like we just learned. Because, But as refined as a body is, the soul without a body is even more refined. <laughs> and yet the soul cannot receive it. And the greatest souls and the most exalted souls who have been advancing from level to level in heaven for 3, 000, over 3,000 years without any interruption, close to 4,000 years. You can imagine what levels they've achieved, what depth they've achieved, what, what experiences they've had. It's indescribable. Even one moment in the world to come, in the future, in the afterlife is indescribable. Anyone who went through a near-death experience and comes back describes when they see the light and it's indescribable, the bliss and the pleasure and the ecstasy, even one moment. Can you imagine the rapid advances and that continues and there's no rest. Every day they're advancing and learning and growing and expanding and this is going on for days. Minutes, hours, days, weeks, months, years, decades, centuries, millenniums. Can you imagine how exalted they are? It's like today we see the galaxies. You know, I mean today we're able to see so far. So, so it's so vast. The universe is so vast. So many galaxies and and the, they're astonishing and astounding and they're so beyond anything we can see, anything that's close to our our galaxy, it's, the deeper you go and the, the farther you go, it's just it's just mind-boggling. The, the scope and the beauty and the, and the what you see, what we're able to see today. So the universe is so so vast, and the levels of Garden of Eden are so infinite and va- infinitely vast, and they're constantly growing from one level to the next level, and yet. The soul cannot receive this revelation. The soul has to return into the body, an exalted body, but nevertheless a body, nonetheless a physical body, in order to receive the revelation of God's intimate self, of God's infinite self, His transcendent self, His crown. Why is that? So it's not just that God... That in relation to God's transcendent self, all are equal. So then even the physical could receive it. That's not what we're saying. It's only the physical that will receive it. Why only the physical? Why must the soul return back to the body in order to experience God's intimate self? That's what he's going to explain next.
0: Yav Tumbenah goes on to explain why in Gan Eden, when the soul is not encumbered by a body, the life of Keter cannot be manifest. Whereas, paradoxically, this revelation becomes possible only in the world to come at the time of the resurrection, when the soul is once again invested within a body. Or, as is well known, the determining opinion is that of Ramban who states that the ultimate reward will be specifically at the time of the resurrection when the soul will again be found within the body. For their beginning, the loftiest initial level is where in their end. This is explained in the teachings of Hasidu as follows. Beginning refers to a level of divinity that utterly transcends the involvement of any created world. This level of divinity is wedged in the last level preceding the creation of the evolving world, the sphera of Keter. Keter is revealed only in the end of all worlds, i.e., within this physical world during the time of the resurrection. Gan Eden, by contrast, is incapable of receiving this transcendent level of revelation in an eternalized manner. Thus... While the lesser radiance that is muted to match the respective limitations of the evolving world can be absorbed by the soul in Eden. In its disembodied state, the transcendent radiance issuing from Keter is revealed to the soul only when it is clothed within a body. Likewise, as is known, the final deep, i.e., the last stage of creation, this physical world was first employed. Thought and creation both have aspects that are first and last. The last, i.e. lowest, level of creation, which is this world, is rooted in the beginning, i.e. the highest level of the divine thought. This is why specifically the deeds performed in this last world of creation, while the soul is closed in a physical body, are able to elicit and draw down the radiance of Keter, as explained here by the Alter Rebbe, This refers to the mitzvah of tzedakah, as well as to the mitzvot in general, all of which are termed tzedakah. For it is the performance of physical mitzvot in this material world that arose first in God's thought and will, at the level of the divine keter. For the physical mitzvot are the ultimate purpose of creation.
1: So these are two concepts in Kabbalah. The beginning is like wedged or nailed into the end. The beginning and the end are connected. And Then you have another concept that we sing in the Lachad Doidi, the hymn that we sing when we welcome in the Shabbos. The end of action is rooted in the beginning of thought. So when you have a goal, it's only when you complete your goal that your initial desire is realized. The initial motivation, the initial spark to go on this journey, to take on this project is because you had a a desire. He had a vision, a desire. A person has a vision, a desire to own a home, to build a home, to have a a home that he can call his own. That's the initial spark. That's the initial vision, the initial dream. Now from that moment, from that initial moment, until you actually build a home, it's a long process. Many, many steps that are involved. Now you've got to call in the architect. You've got to draw plans. <laughs> you've got to call in the engineer. You've got to work out all the nitty-gritty, the technical details. Then you've got to actually build it. You have to call in the general contractor, subcontractors. And then when you're done, you have to furnish it. And then, when the project is finished, now when it's complete, now you look back, this is exactly what I had in mind. This is what prompted this whole to-do. This was what it was all about. From the beginning, it was the finished product, the end result. That's what we say on Shabbos, Friday, says at the end of the six days, it says God saw everything that He's done and He saw that it was beautiful. And then came Shabbos, a day of rest, a day of pleasure. Because it's only when you finish something, that's when you receive pleasure. That's when you go back to your source, you go back to yourself, you go back to the, origi- the, the origin, you go back where it all started from that was your initial that's what prompted you that's what motivated you that was your dream that was your vision that's what what excited you that's what led you to go through this whole entire could be a very long and tedious process what was it all about it's when it's done then you can step back and look and enjoy while you're in middle of working you don't you're not enjoying you're middle of working you're, you're in the middle of the process once it's done, after the six days of creation, then you step back, That Shabbos, you step back and you look at everything that you've done and you say, ah, beautiful, it's exactly what I wanted, it's exactly what I envisioned, this is what it was all about. It's like when you put the last piece of the puzzle, now you see the whole puzzle for the first time. It could be a puzzle of thousands of pieces and it took you the years to put it together, but you finally, Put the last piece of the puzzle in, now you step back. You say, ah, look at this masterpiece. You have something, a finished product. Something is complete. So when you say the last step, you can think to yourself, it's the last step. It's the smallest step. I'm la- knocking the last nail. What's the big deal? It's insignificant. No, it's the most significant. I'm putting that last piece of the puzzle, it's one little piece. That little piece. This is what makes the whole thing worthwhile. This is why I did everything just for this moment. Now, now, it all comes to life. Now, this is what it was all about. So it's only when it's complete, when it's the last piece, that touches the beginning. That's why he says, Mashiach is going to come to our generation. Why? We're the last generation? We're the lowest generation. We're the most insignificant generation. We are the midgets, spiritual midgets of all the generations. We are the soles of the soles of the feet, scraping the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. That's the part of the body which is least sensitive. It's almost dead. You can scrape off the skin, you don't even feel anything. And yet, that's the generation that's going to lead. It's going to lead the whole organism. The bottom of the feet is what leads the whole organism and walks the whole organism to Mashiach. It's going to walk the whole organism to the library. It's the feet that takes the brains to the library. It's our generation that's going to walk all the Jewish people, Moses and all the Jewish people, to the Messianic era. Why? We're the least. We're the last. Exactly. Precisely. Because we put in the last nail. We put in the last piece of the puzzle. Now it's complete. Now suddenly it's complete. It's whole. So it's so ironic that our generation, which is so fragmented, and the the antithesis of wholeness has never been a more broken generation, broken in every sense of the word. There is nothing that's whole. Everything is so broken. Everything is so fragmented. Everything is so shattered. Emotionally, psychologically, physically, every level. And yet, this is the, the, the generation that's going to usher in wholeness. Completion, perfection, <laughs> Mashiach. Doesn't make sense. Logically, rationally, doesn't make sense. But this is a key Kabbalistic concept that we discussed. It's only when you reach the end that you're touching the beginning. This was the initial thought. The end is connected to the beginning. This is what motivates everything to come to this moment, to reach the end, to reach the conclusion. It's like the end of the book. It's that last page, (laughs) the end of the drama, the last few moments. That's, That's what brings it all together. It was all about this moment. Now everything falls into place for the first time. And now... Everything is complete. Everything is whole. Now you have wholeness. Till now, we just had a fragment. Every generation was a fragment, a piece. Every piece here, a piece there, a piece there. Everyone was doing their part. Everyone was adding their piece to the puzzle. But we are the ones who are putting in the last piece of the puzzle. We are the last generation of exile. We are the ones who are finishing the last page of this most suspenseful novel most suspenseful drama a movie, we are at the last few moments. when the tension, you can cut the tension, is so thick, everyone's sitting at the edge of their seat, they can't wait to see how this all is gonna end and how this all is gonna be brought together in the most unsuspecting ways, and you know, the plot is so, and then for the first time, now the whole thing makes sense. Now everything becomes whole, everything becomes complete. So this wholeness, this tiny fragment at the end leads to wholeness, which transcends the whole is greater than some total of its parts. So there's two things he's saying. There's one concept that the beginning is connected to the end. The initial thought was all about bringing it to a conclusion. So all the steps in between were just, it's really all about the initial thought and the last thought. All the steps in between are just steps in between to get from the beginning to the end. From the concept, from the idea, to bring it to, to its conclusion. So the beginning and the end are connected. But then he says a much deeper concept, which we say in Chadoidi in the Shabbos, which captures what Shabbos is all about. That the whole is greater than the sum total of its parts. When you put that last piece of the puzzle... It's not just connected to the beginning. It's connected to machshav etchila, So if at the end, the conclusion of the action, machshav etchila means within thought itself, the beginning of thought and a level that even precedes thought. What motivated the thought in the first place? Because it touches a level of wholeness. When you reach completion, you see the whole thing and you reach a level of wholeness. And the whole is greater than the sum total of its when do we have it? At the end. So, so too he's saying that yes, this physical world is the lowest of all the worlds. Action, touch, sense of touch is the lowest of all the senses. So much so that Maimonides says that we find an analogy for Hashem for all the, all the other senses, all four senses. The Torah says, God sees. The Torah says, God hears. Of course, God doesn't have eyes and God doesn't have ears. But the Torah is using an analogy, just like we see and we hear. The Torah uses an analogy of all the senses, except the sense of touch. It doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that God touches. It says, yeah, the finger of God, but it doesn't say anywhere in the Torah that God touches. Because in Maimonides explains, touch is so tangible, it's so physical, it's so coarse, even as an analogy you can't use it to God. God touches. So this world of touch that we live in, this sense of touch, material, tangible, coarse, crass world that we inhabit, which is the lowest of all the worlds, the low, the last, last level. There's five degrees of separation between touch and the mind. Right? You don't touch a concept with your hands, you don't grasp a concept with your you don't grasp it with your bare hand. It's so far, so distant, there's no connection, there's no relationship even in the sense of touch and anything finer, concepts, ideas, philosophies. So touch is so coarse and crass and limited and tangible. Even by way of an analogy, you can't use it fresh. So this is the lowest point of all the worlds, of all realities, the world of touch that we inhabit is the lowest. The rock, the tangible, the body, the physical. And yet, based on this concept of Kabbalah, the end is connected to the beginning. The whole universe and all these complex universes, the stars, the galaxies, and all the spiritual, which parallel all the spiritual worlds and infinitely complex realms of parallel universes and realities and and high levels of consciousness. And all of that is just in between. It all begins with the initial thoughts. And what's it all about? The end, the sense of touch, the physical, the tangible. And that's why the sense of touch is actually very powerful. From all all the senses, the sense of touch is really one of the most powerful. When you touch something, it's so real to us. Something is tangible, it's so real to us. You know, when you can take an idea, an abstract idea, and you can concretize the idea, you can explain it with a tangible parable. Like you can touch it. It's become so crystal clear to you as if you can touch it. it. It gives you such clarity. It gives you such a sense of certainty. It gives you such a sense of reality. It's very powerful. That's why the power of touch is, also could be abused. You know how many spouses who should have left spouses long, long, long ago because of their abuse. But the reason they don't leave is because after the spouse abuses them, they come and hug them. And they touch them. And it's very confusing. You know, here, here they're abusing them and the next moment they're hugging them and kissing them and touching them. And it's a very powerful, sense of touch is very powerful. That's what the Torah says, out of modesty, you're not allowed to touch a man only allowed to touch his own spouse and the spouses, and she's only allowed to touch her husband, not strangers. Because just a handshake, you think it's just a handshake, what's the big deal? But the sense of touch is so powerful, it's not just a handshake. It's a very powerful, could be a very powerful intimacy, intimate moment. The power of touch is extremely, extremely, babies, that's the first thing their interaction with this world is touch. They have to touch something. They have to, everything they have to touch to see that it's real, You know, to make sure that it's real. So, all of the worlds, and all of the higher levels, and the higher realms, everything that's sandwiched in between, was really all for this world. This is the end result. That means this is rooted in the beginning. This is what it was all about. This was the idea. This was the concept. This was the plan. This was what it was all about. Just like the home at the end, the finished product, that is what it was all about. Our world, the sense of touch, the most physical, the tangible. This is the end result. This is what it was all about in the beginning. That was the idea. That was the concept. Everything in between was just to get to this point. So don't look at it as the end, insignificant, it's the lowest. On the contrary, this is the end point. This is rooted in the beginning. That's idea number one, which is revolutionary. It changes your whole way of looking at it. But then he says even a deeper concept. That when you reach the end point, this tiny detail, the tiniest. We're the tiniest generation and we're adding the smallest piece of the puzzle. All the great pieces were already put in by our ancestors their heroic self-sacrifice. What's left to us is we just have to put in that last little, tiny little piece. But it's the last piece. And once you put in that last piece, the whole is greater than the sum total. Now for the first time, you have a completed product, and you see the whole picture. The whole is rooted even beyond the original thought. It's, it's, it's rooted in, in wholeness. It's rooted in, in the deepest places of your soul. Like the desire for a person to have a house, to own a home, is rooted so deeply within our psyche, within our soul, that even before we become consciously aware of that desire, we already had that desire. And it's so deep down within us, it touches us in a very core place, in a very essential place. That's why he says a person doesn't own a home, it's not a person. Something is missing, something essential is missing. Because the desire to have a home runs so deep, the desire to own a piece of God's world and to have a portion that you can call your own, it's so deeply rooted, so profound, so powerful. But it's only when you complete the project and you look at the finished product that, that, that you're able to touch that place, you're able to tap into that place, you're able to... That's why the pleasure its indescribable. The pleasure of completing a project a complete whole project, when it's completely done and whole and down to the last detail, everything is done, that Shabbos, that pleasure is indescribable. You're returning back to your soul, you're returning back to the essence of your soul, and that gives you tremendous pleasure. So therefore, he's explaining, he's trying to explain why the revelation of Hashem's personal self, intimate self, transcendent self, will only be in this physical world. Why the soul must journey and come back into the physical world and be resurrected in order for it to experience Hashem's intimate side, His intimate self, His personal self, His infinite self and transcendence. Because it's only at the end that's rooted in in the beginning. And it's only the end, the complete that touches the whole, that touches God's transcendent self. The whole is greater than the sum total of His part. It's only then that the wholeness could be revealed. That's why Hashem in His infinite mercy gave us the Rebbe, you know, a generation that was so broken after the Holocaust and broken in every way, materially, spiritually, lost, broken, fragmented, confused, And what the Rebbe embodied, what the Rebbe is all about, was all wholeness. The whole Torah, the whole land of Israel, the whole of the Jewish people, cared for every single Jew, literally, wherever they may be, anywhere around the world, building 5,000 Chabad houses, a place where every single Jew in the world could feel at home, and could access. And the wholeness of the complete redemption which, was, which was, was the motivation behind everything that he did. So such a fragmented generation and yet we had such a level of wholeness and wholesomeness the world has never seen before which created a revolution. And this was the Rebbe's main theme and message to us that genera- we are the generation that will experience that wholeness. We are the last generation of exile and we will be the first generation of redemption, of Gaulah, of the complete redemption, the total redemption, when Hashem's wholeness will be revealed in all its infinite glory, which was such an encouraging and inspiring, is such an encouraging and inspiring message. That who could believe in our generation, in this world which appears to be the antithesis of everything that's godly and good and moral and ethical and spiritual and decent and kind and genuine and authentic and refined. And yet this world, our situation, here and now, us, we are the ones that are going to usher in this dramatic transformation. Precisely because we are the end lowest the last the tip so we will also be the tipping point that will tip the entire Jewish people take the entire organism into the era of redemption and this will be here and now in the real world that we live in because it's only in this world that you could reveal God's wholeness that's the irony that's the paradox and this is the whole message of Judaism. Unlike, contrary to all other religions and mysticism that point out how fragmented this world is, and how ridiculous and absurd this world is, and how hopeless this world is, and it's all about the afterlife, and it's all about you know, sitting and meditating and realizing this whole world is one Maya, is one big illusion, and, and Judaism says, no, no, you completely misunderstood. This is the holiest of all the worlds. This is the greatest of all the worlds. It's only in this world, which is the end, the end is rooted in the beginning. It's only in this world that we'll be able to experience something that the souls who have been meditating for 3,800 years without interruption and are growing in leaps and bounds from minute to minute, from day to day, three times a day, sometimes more. Every time we pray, it's in heaven they're achieving an advance, a leaping ahead, leapfrogging ahead. And yet they can never experience what we are going to experience in this world. So much so that they will return to this world, just to be able to experience this level of Hashem, this holiness of Hashem, this transcendent level of Hashem, the crown of Hashem, Hashem's intimate self, Hashem's personal self, which is undefined, that cannot be contained in any vessel, and this will be completely, fully revealed to us. In the physical, in the flesh, in this world, in the world of touch, in this world. Tangible, physical world that we inhabit. It sounds mind boggling. But this whole letter is mind boggling. And the whole Judaism is mind boggling. And reality is mind boggling because God is mind boggling. <laughs> and it's counterintuitive. And it's not the way we think and we can meditate for a thousand years. We would never in a million years come to this conclusion because it's so counterintuitive. The end is connected to the beginning. The end is rooted even before the beginning. This is where wholeness, this is where Hashem's pleasure and Hashem's will and Hashem's desire and Hashem's <laughs> intimate self is revealed. This is so... The angels can, couldn't grasp. it. The angels resisted the giving of the Torah. We just celebrated Shavuos yesterday, two days ago. The angels resisted. They couldn't understand this whole idea. Why is God giving the Torah here on earth to mankind? God, to give the Torah to the angels in heaven. Heaven is sublime. Heaven is Heaven is a place, a proper place to give something so holy and pure and exalted. Why is God giving the Torah to human beings who are so full of folly and absurdities and ridiculousness? And, and that's the whole idea. Because the Torah is a revelation of Hashem. And this revelation of God's will, of God's intimate self, the mitzvah. And this revelation could only be in the physical world, only when you physically do the mitzvah. It's not the intent, and it's not the deep insights, and it's not the spirituality, and it's not the love. It's the physically doing the mitzvah, it's the tangible mitzvah. Lighting the Shabbat candle, giving the physical coin to Tzedakah, writing the check. It's physically putting the leather hide of the animal, the tefillin, putting it on your arm eating the kosher, eating the matzah, shaking the lulav and the yesterig, doing a physical favor to another physical human being. This is what it's all about. It's the end that's rooted in the beginning. And it's the end of action, the lowest level, the most tangible sense of touch that's rooted in the beginning of the beginning, even before the beginning. It's only then that we reach a level of wholeness, a level that completely transcends this universe, the whole frame of reference of this universe. And it's only then that we step back and we're able to see and enjoy the whole picture. We'll be able to see Hashem. Tezumashiach will come, we'll see Hashem. Hashem, as He is, without any concealment. Not the way Hashem adapts Himself and limits Himself and hides and conceals Himself. God will be completely revealed. Nothing will be between us. Completely naked, so to speak. Completely revealed. And intimate with us. That's why Mashiach will come. It says That's when God will consummate His marriage. Mount Sinai was the betrothal. But God was never intimate with us. He never consummated the marriage. Only when Mashiach will come, God will reveal Himself. He is intimate. As is. Without any limitation. And will experience it. So much so that it will become our name. They will call us holy. Because we're experiencing God's holiness. Transcendence. And that's something that the souls cannot experience in heaven. Even the souls of the patriarchs, even the souls of the matriarchs, even Moses, heaven is just too limited. Heaven is only a glimmer of a ray of God's light. God's intimate self, infinite self, as God is, the way God is himself. that's not adaptable and not limited, can't be contained or confined, that they can't experience. When will we experience it? Where will we experience it? Only in this world when the soul returns back to the body. So now you understand why Jews are against cremation. Having learned this letter and having learned the way Judaism looks at the body, that the body is the holiest, for the soul to experience this, the soul has to come down to the body, back to the body, and be resurrected. in the body, in order to be able to experience God's infinite self. So the respect that we have for the body, and that's expressed how we bury the body. We treat the body with tremendous respect. God forbid, not to cremate. It's become the latest... Uh, very in thing unfortunately, people think that 's the moral thing, and you don't want to harm the earth so you want to be reduced to ashes firstly, if people knew the process of cremation, if they knew how bodies are cremated they wouldn't let they wouldn't even entertain the idea it's so horrifying people just don't want to know they're oblivious, but if they knew the how disgraceful and the, the how the body is treated, the body of the loved one is treated, no one who loves their loved one would even entertain the idea. It's so horrifying. But for a Jew the whole Yiddish guide is based on the mitzvah and the body and the physical and the sense of touch. At the end is rooted in the beginning. The physical, the body is rooted in the beginning and it's connected to the, even before the beginning. And this is what touches the wholeness of Hashem and how powerful the sense of touch is, how powerful the body is, how holy it is. This is the ultimate, this is the ultimate reward and this is where it's at, to take the body and to destroy the body. I just heard a story the other day that someone someone's daughter was trying to convince her father he should be cremated. He was a Holocaust survivor. He should be cremated for the good of the earth and, you know, global warming and, uh, you know, whatever other that people are into these days. So, that um, you must be cremated. Anyway, she nudged and nudged and nudged. So he says, you know what? You'll, you'll read my will. You'll see what, what, what I've, I've decided to do. The reading his will, after he passes on, he says, well, my daughter, I want to tell you, you've convinced me, my body should be cremated, But on one condition. As long as you get a Nazi to burn me. <laughs> so that was the end of that conversation. <laughs> because you have to be a Nazi. For a Jew to burn a loved one burn their bodies. Everything that the Torah tells us how holy a body is, how the whole universe was created for the body, how the body is rooted in God's essence, how the whole purpose of creation, the resurrection, the ultimate reward, the souls can't wait to come back into the body and to take this body and to destroy it. There are no words to describe The only thing you can say is give Jews the benefit of the doubt. It's all ignorant because, due to no fault of their own, they never studied. Tanya, they never studied. And they don't appreciate, and don't realize, and don't understand our perspective, the Jewish perspective, which is their perspective, and the truth about the body and the holiness of the body. And they would even entertain such an idea. Besides the cruelty, anyone who knows anything about the process of cremation, if you don't, go look it up. Today you can watch, you can watch everything on Google. Once you learn what's involved, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even entertain the thought. You wouldn't wish it on your worst enemy, let alone your loved one. But the more you learn and the more you study and the more you realize the Jewish point of view, of the body, and how sacred it is, how holy it is. And uh, as rabb Simmons said on Yantif, you know, the first places our enemies would attack. You want to know how special something is? It says when it comes to a shidduch, it comes to a matchmaking, always ask your enemies. Ask the enemies of the person you're asking about. Don't ask a friend. You want to know about, about someone's character, when it comes to matchmaking or to, to go into business with, speak to the person's enemies. Why speak to the person's enemies? Because granted, he's an enemy. But an enemy has to come up with something real. You can't, can't hate the kindest person in town. I hate him because he's mean. I mean, he's a kind person. You have to find something real. I hate him because he's too nice, uh, because he's, this, he's not decisive. But the enemy has to dig deep and find something to hate. That's not the reason he hates him. He hates him for egotistical reasons. But he has to find an excuse, so he has to dig very deep and find a reason why he hates him. So, if you really want to know about a person's character and personality, speak to a person's enemies, because they'll uncover things that beyond the surface. That's important for you to know. If you're going to do business with them, you're going to, you're going to enter into marriage with them. So, if you want to know something about a person, look at the enemies. So, if you want to know. What's holy and what's treasured and what's really special about the Jewish people? Look at our enemies. And one of the things that our enemies went after throughout all the generations, what's one of the first things they go after? You always read in the news. They desecrate graves. They attack the dead. (laughs) Which would seem very strange. Why would they attack the dead? They're dead already. What do you want from the poor? But Consciously or subconsciously. They know that this is what distinguishes Jews from everyone else. Everyone believes in the eternity of the soul. But Jews believe in the eternity of the body. To us, the body is holy. The body is sacred. Our dead ones are sacred. They're alive. They're sacred. They're holy. And that's why we, we treat the person who dies as a way. We bury them with, with tremendous sacredness and holiness and And we treat our cemeteries with tremendous holiness and respect because we know the power of the body, and this body will be resurrected. And if our enemies left six million, killed six million of our best, and didn't leave any graves, made sure to destroy and to cremate, anyone who wants to cremate a loved one, you're following in the good traditions of Hitler and the Nazis. This is how you want to treat a fellow Jew, especially a loved one. This is what the enemies went after, the body, because they know that this is what's special about the Jewish people, how we look at the body. We look at the body as something sacred. We don't look at ourselves as animals. We look at life as sacred. Look at the physical and the tangible, and the body is sacred and holy and special. And that's the first thing they attacked. That's the first thing they went after. Because this is what drove them mad. They tried to attack the Jewish people, attack their most sacred thing, their treasures. They went after the physical, they went after the body, even after the dead bodies, the corpses. So, this is a letter that should really be studied by every Jew in the world. really want to understand, you really have to make a decision to bury or to cremate. Study letter number 17 and without a doubt, after studying this letter, you'll be informed and you'll be able to make the right decision for yourself and for your loved one. Because wherever your loved one is now, they know the truth whatever they wrote in their will. If they were able to communicate with you now, they would plead and beg, please, you, you, you never listen to them while they're alive. You don't have to listen to them now. Start listening to them while they're... The one, it's not the one thing you have to listen to. They would beg and plead with you, please, be wise enough and follow the 3,800-year tradition treating our loved ones and their bodies as a sacred, not only as sacred objects, but as the most sacred. As we learned here, there's nothing
0: holier than the body. To be continued. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.